everyone, and welcome to another episode of Talking Pit. This is your guest host again, Coach Devin, coming with you. And I have a guest that, A, I haven't talked to in a long time, which is wild, considering we went to the same college and we're in the same uh, program together. So I'm really excited to have Ryan Wasaki on. Ryan, how we doing, man? Fantastic, Devin. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. I'm I'm excited just to catch up, honestly. No matter what we talk about, I'm just – I'm historically bad of staying connected with people that either – Again, we both played hockey, so playing hockey with my junior days or then when we went to school, people I was in class with, and I couldn't tell you what half the people who were in like your class and the class of mine when we graduated from Fitchburg, what they're even doing. So I'm really excited for this one. I'm excited as well. It'll be good catching up and and uh, hopefully providing a, a little insight to, to the listeners. Absolutely. So to get started, man, just give us a little bit of background. I know you're with the uh, Phoenix Coyotes now, but kind of how you got there and maybe even how you got into the profession to start with. <clears throat> Sure. So, uh, again, I'll, I'll go way back. So you and I met at school at, at Fitchburg State, D3 school in, in central Massachusetts. Um, I played, played four years of, of ice hockey there at the NCAA D3 level. And fortunately, my coach, uh, Dean Fuller, had a close contact. And hopefully most of you know his name, Michael Boyle, right, out of, uh, out of Woburn, Massachusetts. So, uh, I, I did an internship uh, right after I graduated, the summer I graduated from FSU, and I was there for three months. Fortunate for for me, it turned into a job opportunity. Uh, at first, it was part time for Mike, and then as, as you kind of built your experience and, and started your your coaching profession, um, I was given some some more opportunities. And three years later, I was taking some of his his adult classes, a mixture of uh, some of the prep schools, Austin prep, uh, uh, high school hockey team came in. We had St. John's for a little bit. Um, and then, you know, the opportunity to work with some of the pro athletes and in, in his pro hockey group in the mornings was really the, the main interest, um, that, that kind of sparked, like I said, sparked my interest in which direction I wanted to go in the field. And fortunately, Mike's got a lot of contacts still in pro hockey. So he was able to, to make some calls and, and always kept me in the loop when an opportunity came up. And that's what led to, to my first gig in pro hockey. It was with the, the Carolina hurricanes organization. So for, for four years, I was the American hockey league head strength coach um, for three seasons. It was in Charlotte, North Carolina for the Charlotte checkers. And then my final season, it was with the Chicago wolves uh, based off of a affiliation change that Carolina had. Uh, after that, I, again, fortunate enough to, to move up in, in this industry. And I signed a, a three-year deal here with the Arizona Coyotes. I'm the assistant uh, strength conditioning coach, and we've kind of revamped that title as our, our performance model has started to take shape here. And so when, when somebody asks, I'm the assistant performance and reconditioning coach. So, um, like I said, we're, we're fortunate to have a big staff here and, and we can dig into kind of our model and, and our philosophy here in a little bit. No, I'm, I'm super excited to dive into this a little bit, especially like we took such different paths. Like you went to that private sector going to Boyles, which for how close we were to him in Fitchburg, I always now kick myself looking back that I didn't do a site visit. I didn't do like a summer internship there. Like he's influenced me so much as a coach. It's just I wish now going back on it, I would have interned with him. We just had a recent fellow here, um, 
Danny, who's now at Liberty, who uh, worked for him for a couple of years and all that. So I've always just heard great things and always just regret never going into that. But kind of can you give me a little bit of information on kind of that private sector and then transform, uh, not transforming, but like transitioning into pro mm-hmm. hockey? Like what are the similarities? What are the differences? Like just give me a little bit of information for our listeners on that. Sure. Um, well, first off, I'm glad you asked because that's really important to me um, to understand the difference and, and respect the the ways that private sectors are different in performance models than professional teams and college teams. Um, my my secondary role here is to deal with our prospects, and we've got a lot of prospects here in Arizona as we're we're turning a corner in our rebuild, and we've got a lot of exciting young players coming up in this organization. And so I do a lot of work calling their trainers and coaches back home, calling their teams during the season. And one thing you have to recognize is that private sectors are incredibly different than being with a pro team and the same 30 or so athletes for an entire season. Um, You see a little bit of that in in the college setting, obviously, um, but you still have kind of control those same players for three or four years or what have you. Whereas my experience early on as a young coach at Mike Boyle strength and conditioning, I thought culture in the weight room kind of just made itself. And, and the culture at MBSC is amazing. You walk in the door your first day and various coaches walk up to you. They give you knuckles, they shake your hand, they learn your name right away. Right. And they instill that in all of their, um, all of their interns right away. So listen, Learn all the kids in your group's name, all the, the athletes, all the, all the adults, and refer to people by their name because it's important. People like that ring. They know that you care about them. And, and one quote that we absolutely love, it's plastered all on our walls here, at least in our performance uh, model and in our department, is just that idea of people don't care how much you know at all until they know how much you care. And that's something we preach by, we live by, that's, that's every day. Don't forget it. And so that culture was already in place at MBSC. The second that I left that, you get into a different environment and, and you feel like you're taking your first steps. And so for me, that, that was a big piece of the puzzle was learning, okay, what works? I've been in a hockey locker my whole life as a player. Now I'm on the staff side. How do I translate to my players so that they understand I am here as an asset? I'm here as a resource to help them improve and uh, become better athletes and better ice hockey players, but also toe that line of I'm a staff and I got to keep guys accountable and and I've got a job to do too. No, it's a, it's a tough one. It's the same thing here in that college sector of like not trying to be their friend, but trying to be someone they know they can come to, they can talk to, but still having that thought authoritarian figure, man. It, it's always a tough line. It's one I tell our interns all the time, like. It's it's that art to, I think about coaching is more so that like relationship piece and I love how so you guys actually have no one cares what how much you know until they know you care posted all over your guys spot down there. Yes, that's that's something that uh, I know right on our big board where where we have all of our immaculate ideas thrown around on the uh, on the whiteboard. It says right at the bottom of, of Devin McConnell's office. It, it says that quote right there. So. Um, it's something we look at between between that and details build champions. Those are those are our big two from our department, and we try to try to always kind of keep our our eye on the that north star of, of high performance. 
Well, that makes me feel good knowing I'm doing the right thing because I don't directly supervise the interns here at Pitt, but every time I get to talk to them and all that, I feel like that's one of the things that if you take nothing else from me, know and live by that quote because it'll it'll take you so far in this profession. I completely agree. That's that's something that that I started doing right away in this field. Um, and you know what? I, I think you've got to be a sponge. I learned that from from week one of of Mike's internship. Is you got to be a sponge. There's a million smart people in this industry. You you got to take it in and and decide for yourself and critically think what works, what doesn't work in your particular environment, right? And and for me in pro sports. You got to remember that it's not the private sector. Private private sector, you've got players paying you for your services, so they come in with a pretty decent attitude, ready to work because they're paying you right then and there. In the mm-hmm. pro setting, it's the other way around. They're being played for their on ice performance, and unfortunately, sometimes in this industry, the player doesn't necessarily want to partake in a lot of things off the ice. And again, that's a that's a huge culture proponent, and that's. I think we're doing a fantastic job here and we've got excellent leaders and, and really good players built around that want to train, but to not recognize that that has to play a, at least a small piece in your, your thought process of designing workouts, designing um, really all of your, your training programs. Like you have to think about, okay, if motivation levels are a little bit lower this week and in a heavy part of the season, a lot of travel, what have you, how are we going to work around that? So that that's that's a big piece to it, and and like I said, just kind of being able to translate and and understand a player, and a player understands that you get him, and you're thinking from a player's standpoint. They appreciate that, and and they're going to give you a little bit more, and then you just keep on moving forward. I've never, I guess, I've never thought about it that way because I've never dealt with again professional athletes. It's always been college, so. It's kind of like, hey, you have to be in the weight room. And again, we try to make it a good environment. I try to give them as much value and as much respect, or maybe that's not the right word, of just meeting them where they're at, especially when we're getting to a grueling season, whether that's with my softball team or like once we're closer to championships or track. Like, I, kn- I know you're beat up. I know you're tired. I know we need to try to start throttling things back, but I never thought about it in terms of, yeah, they don't technically have to be there which I'm curious also with the prospects that you're talking to, because since you also have the prospects piece too, mm-hmm. are you then talking to kids still in junior hockey, like high school, triple a, are they already in like a farm system? Like, does it range all the way through? Sure. So the way that that role works for me is you've got, you've got really three options. So first off, all of these practice prospects that I'm referring to are guys that are drafted okay. by the Arizona Coyotes. All right. Some of them have, in fact, already signed ELCs, and so that generally is, is the three-year minimum deal that may include a signing bonus or whatever. Um, a handful of those guys haven't signed because they were just just drafted or drafted recently. Um, really, there's three different directions that these guys could go. You've got major junior hockey in Canada, all right, and that's three different leagues, but they're all very similar to a professional league in terms of um the commitment to the game and the process now some of these kids are taking classes which which muddies the waters a little bit too um that's option one option two guys go ncaa with those particular players i i'm i really have to be more hands-off there's no visiting players you're not doing any work with them um 
but I like to, like to check in with them. Hey, everything all right? Is there any anything we can, um, you know, help talk about my my full time dietitian here? Uh, another another huge proponent of our um, our high performance model, but Carl Bombardier, he and I do these calls together. So a big piece of the puzzle for the NCAA players is what does your living situation look like? Are you in a dorm? Are you in an apartment with other players? Do you guys cook at home? Do you have access to all of your cooking items? Um, you know, do you, is there a sport or athlete only um, cafeteria you guys have access to? If so, how's the food? If it's not good, maybe Carl can, can help look into, um, you know, catering or chef options nearby, things like that. Um, which I've found has been a, a real winner for for Carl and I in terms of all these prospects communicating with us. And again, it goes back to what we just said. Once once guys realize that we care and we're here to help them, and it's not just, well, we want to know where your strength's at. We want to know where your weight's at. Is it down? Is it bad? Are we upset with you? Well, that's not the case. We're, we're here to help you. We're projecting down the road. These are the steps you need to do to become a professional athlete from what we've seen. How can we help you get there quicker than than expected? Um, and then I got a little off topic there, but so you've got major junior, you have NCAA, and then the third option, which I, I've got a lot of in this particular case is, is European prospects. And that's a little bit more tricky. Um, all my contact with, with those players has to be through WhatsApp. So lots of, lots of WhatsApp text messages, Carl and I have going with these guys. And if we have a chance to do, um, any video calls with them through Microsoft Teams. We try to once every six weeks or so. And it's the same thing. Just checking in. How you doing? How's the living situation? If a guy's been traded, we try to reach out to him real quick. Um, and and guys, European players of mine, it's a mixture of European pro leagues and European junior leagues. So those have to be treated a little bit differently as well. Because um, again, if a guy that's in a pro league wants to be a little bit of a stickler, like he's in a pro league. So it might be tougher to reach his his strength coaches or, or performance staffs. And maybe we share less than somebody in junior is willing to share. That's a lot, man. I thought just dealing with incoming freshmen and just getting contact <laughs> information, sending out summer workouts to them, trying to check in on them once they sign everything was a lot, man. But you are all over the place with trying to like manage people, manage and again, the trading aspect. I never thought of that either. Like you might be talking to someone one day and next thing you know, they're gone or you got a new person in right away. Like that has to be like staying organized, staying on top of things has to be like a, a, a plus all the time. And it, with it is, that, it, it's okay. a challenge. Good. Sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say it is, it, it's a challenge. It's, it's something that, uh, you know, this will, this will be my third season here. And I think Carl and I are, are just now reaching a point where we're really happy with the way that we're tracking these things. And, and it's, it's not something that happens overnight. All of, all of year one, it's kind of like, here's, here's things we think work. A lot of them didn't. Year two, now we finally got a process that, that we like and the players like, and it makes it easy. Now this is year three. We're going in and we've got our Excel documents all built out and they're shared files. And, and hopefully it makes this just a breeze. So it is a big proponent of it, but we're, we're trying to move the organization a particular way and, and I think this is gonna help a lot. Dude, that's that's awesome. I would I'm just trying to think of just how would I manage all those people and all those different communications. Like just having the two teams here at Pitt, like now you're like in WhatsApp is the only way you're allowed to communicate with your people in the European leagues. Like that has again, that's to me is wild. 
But with that and these prospects that you have, right, plus the guys you have and all that, I know one thing that we want, I want definitely want to touch on you about was um, return to play. I know mm-hmm. a lot of stuff I've seen from Dev and a lot of stuff you guys post. Um, I don't know if it's Dev in social media or your guys' own sports performance social media. I don't remember which one I've seen some stuff on. With return to play now, does that filter into also like your prospect people? I'm sure the NCAA players, obviously, like they're dealing with their own strength coach, their own PTs and all that. But I guess mm-hmm. in return to play, one, I guess, does that affect your prospects at all of you guys trying to help them if they're going through something? And also, I guess, a more micro question to what you're actually doing. Since you've been at the Coyotes, what has been the biggest takeaway that you've seen return to play that maybe you didn't have to deal with in the private sector or something that is constantly coming up that you guys are always dealing with at the pro hockey level. Sure. Um, So I'll start with that. I mean, kind of the biggest shock is you deal with them every step of the way, right? If it's a, if it's a major injury and knock on wood that this never happens again, but year one, myself and our physical therapist, Mark Packwood got hit with a whole ton of injuries at the same time. And um, a lot of it was nothing you could do. It was it was a few broken hands uh, from block shots, uh, from a fight, uh, two two knees gone, entire MCL reconstruction. Right. So um, right off the bat, you're not thinking, okay, let's let's rehab um, one small little bump or bruise on a shoulder. But now it's all right. We're looking at a full eight, nine months before we touch the ice, let's, let's decide how we're going to do that. And so um, a lot of my return to play process and, and general reconditioning process works hand in hand with our physical therapist. So we have a PT here on staff with the coyotes and God bless him. He's absolutely fantastic. Mark Packwood. Um, he, he helps us bring our medical departments and our high performance departments together. Right. And, and he bridges that gap. He, he's a CSCS guy as well. And so he and I can sit down right at the onset of any sort of injury. We can discuss what's going on with that and then decide, okay, early on for, for maybe a longer term injury, it's going to be 85, 90% rehab based. He'll take care of everything. Say it's a guy with a lower body injury. He'll take mm-hmm. care of all of that. I might have the expectation might be two upper body lifts sprinkled in every week just to give them a little something. Right. Um, but leave all the lower body work to, to Mark. And it's going to be all simple rehab based. He's checking a box. He's, he's progressing going through ISOs and then some, some negatives, right. Some tempo work. Um, and then again, staying in contact and close communication with Mark the whole way. It might be, week two or three, we deem that he's ready to progress. At that point, it might be phase one of my general SNC program. And in that general program, now we can start looking, okay, if it's an injured left limb, where can we work the right one? Are we comfortable doing any sort of lateralization with the left limb? So we want to keep these guys as similar as we can to regular, normal, healthy, strength conditioning programs, but in longer term injuries with a longer reconditioning program, there are kind of steps along the way where if a player doesn't reach a certain box that we want checked by that point, 
Now we can reevaluate our process along the way. So each player is very, very individual. Do you guys use any baseline testing or marks to get, say, just numbers, whether that's looking at the force plate, maybe using the 1080. I'm not sure if you guys have quantums there Mm -hmm. or not, but finding something where like, all right, you're coming in. I know this is an average jump height, breaking force, whatever you're looking at. Do you then use those numbers or those KPIs as you're going back to these return to plays to try to have something to aim for? Or like, how do you find out, all right, we're getting them back to like 90% of their capacity that they had originally. Yep. That is exactly it. So I'm glad that, that you mentioned it that way. So we work it right off of our KPIs. We, we expect that their key performance indicators and, and their tests are as close to baseline as possible. Right. And so by baseline, I mean, what did they test that year at camp? We do a 40 meter on ice sprint using our 1080s. It's set at one kilogram of resistance, which is which is their baseline for, for no resistance. That allows it to measure all of your data, your left, first, right power outputs all the way down the ice. Our last box that we need to check before we okay a player for a team practice is can he complete that with less than a 5% discrepancy from where he was at his baseline? That goes the exact same. Um, for anybody with lower body injuries, Mark and I, we regularly use our Hawk and force plates. So same thing. We're looking at left and right braking. We're looking at left and right, uh, propulsive, right? Any differences between the two. Uh, and we're looking at just general propulsive power and, and jump height. Are they getting close to where they were pre onset of injury? Are you still using like the 5% for the Hawkins too? Like you will for the 1080? Um, in general, okay. yes, in general, um, some, sometimes, uh, you know, that just the, the jump height or, or a certain one variable doesn't tell us the whole picture. Um, so sometimes it, it's more of, all right, let's, let's dig into maybe his, his counter movement jump map from pre-injury. And then let's look at his map now and, and okay. Is that line, is that curve different? Has the player changed his jump strategy? Is he still um, you know, leaning over to his right, coming back to his left, taking off on the left, and then in the air, subtly changing so that he can land on his right again, things like that. And you can see it, they're small, but that's, yeah, the the percentages, the, the discrepancies that pop up flag some things for for medical and for performance. But in, in reconditioning, you, you get, we, we look a little bit closer at that stuff before deeming a guy ready to, to rejoin the team or rejoin practice or even just hop back on the ice. No, that's, that's awesome. Cause one of the things we've talked a little bit about here and even just over my time in different colleges I've been, and I feel like, yeah, they're, they're cleared by medical and they're coming back to the weight room. But I feel like sometimes I haven't done a great job of like, okay, well you're not where we are in this phase of training with the rest of the team. Like how do I mm-hmm. regress them back to bring them forward? And the past school I was at was a small D three. So I had a jump mat and that was it. So I was trying to find ways of, what KPIs would we look at? How would we test it? But now here at Pitt, I'm taking my whole track team through. Like day one, we jumped on the force plates. We're looking at 1080s early on. Like I want to have this data. It's kind of how you guys are once we're coming back, say if we do get an injury. Okay, they're cleared from medical. But now how do I assure that, all right, we're close as we can to that 90, 100% of where they were when they came in. So that way when we're racing, it's not, yeah, they're fine to race, but it's not really, they're not that optimal 
performance they could be, let's say. So this uh, that's interesting. I'm definitely going to have to be calling you more often and picking your brain for <laughs> some stuff on this. But one thing I want to dive into, you've mentioned it twice, the reconditioning. Do you guys separate your return to play and reconditioning? Or are they technically two different things? Or are they kind of just like interweaved in one another? Like the return to play, the reconditioning is just different stages of that. Um, I, I would say they're, they're interchangeable terms, right? Um, they're the same thing. Uh, for, for me, if we look at reconditioning separate from return to play though, reconditioning would be, we do a lot of work with, uh, heart rate straps. And so early in the season, we really, really, really ask our guys to be diligent about wearing their straps every day for practice. And that, that way, again, we're building a profile in first beats, um, cloud software that allows us to have a very individualistic view of does this guy run high? Does he run low? Does he, um, you know, can he get his maximum heart rate all the way up to 210 still? Um, Does, does he have one kind of that bouncy uh, spongy looking shift on the ice? Or is he a guy that maybe doesn't recover as well as we'd like? Is that something we want to focus on? And the reason why we push that early in the season is for, injuries that happen later in the, in the year, because once the second a guy goes down and he's going to skate in the rehab ice, we absolutely 100% have to have our heart rate straps on. We can't take the option on that. Let's have it on. And the reason why is so that then in a return to play idea, we want to hit shrimp is, is the, it's, it stands for training impulse. And that first speed sports, that's, that's their load for lack of better terms, their player load. Right. So, that's how much work did you do in that particular bout of exercise, whether it's off the ice, on the ice, however, whatever you're doing while wearing the strap. For us, it'll be on ice. And so we'll draw right up. All right, here's his, here's his off-ice return to play program, but from a reconditioning standpoint on the ice, again, we still want to progress how much load this player has. Are we overdoing it on the ice? Um, as we get closer to him joining practice, we want to make sure that we're hitting certain intensities. So if we don't have a heart rate strap on a guy, how can we make sure that we're hitting those intensities? We're, we're, we can ask him, give him a, give him a uh, rate of perceived exertion scale, and that's great. That's effective. But then when you have a data point in real time showing you a guy how quick he's recovering, all right, does that recovery look similar to him back in September at main camp. Perfect. Now, now we feel good about him rejoining the team or, well, you know, he looks good, but the second that we get him into an on ice session over 80 trimp units, he really struggles to recover at the same rate that he did at the beginning of practice. So maybe he may not be quite ready to join the team. No, that's, that's great. And something I feel like, again, I've, I've only dealt with a couple sports that have used heart rate, so I've never really dove into it like that. But I think having metrics to look back on, the longer I'm in this profession, the more I want to have stuff initially to make sure that we are back to, say, homeostasis, what, whatever you want to call that, of like mm-hmm. peak performance. Do you guys only use heart rate, or would you use catapult in any way, too, to also look at like maybe like high distance or collisions or anything like that later on, or is it just strictly heart rate? No, that's uh, we we obviously we use heart rate for our internal variable, and then mm-hmm. our our form of of tracking external 
player load is in fact catapult. Okay. Um, not, not Devin McConnell deals with a large majority of that. Um, but that's, that's the report that we'll sit down with coaches. And if we need to make changes to a weekly schedule based off of travel, based off of um, recent schedules, intensities of whatever, a lot of that can be backed up by the, by the data and, and by the KPIs using, using our catapult. Yeah. Okay. I just, I had to ask, cause I know our soccer's and lacrosse use it here and just looking over our coach's shoulders mm-hmm. of just seeing like, high speed impacts like yeah the heart rate's going to give you stuff but looking at those other factors especially knowing hockey like yeah being on the ice and doing a skill session you can get your heart rate up but like battling Mm -hmm. in the corner is not the same as going a one-on-one power skating session so i was just curious to see how you looked at that too in terms of i think you've already spoke about and we won't talk about the nhl we'll just focus on where you're at now would you say that basically everything falls under you guys on like a high performance model where like no one's siloed it's basically everyone's working together to achieve this goal Sure. Uh, they said we're really fortunate here. Um, the NHL in, in many ways is sometimes a little bit behind the eight ball when it comes to, to technologies, when it comes to just general S and C um, there, there's still a few organizations where, you know, their, their biggest crutch is that it might only be one person. Right. And, and that makes it difficult. That spreads you really, really thin. And fortunately here, we see ourselves as a high performance team, not just a strength conditioning staff and a medical staff that are separated. But if I look at our high performance model and, and give credit to Devin, this is his vision when he came in. And fortunately, you know, he hired uh, myself and, and uh, Mitch Stewart, and we have a head chef, Mario. We have a head uh, performance uh, nutritionist or dietitian, Carl. We have a high-performance nutrition consultant, Dr. Callum Cohen. He does some blood, blood biomarkers for us, right? Um, we're, the way we want to go now, the direction that we're trying to add is, okay, can we get some sort of performance psychology department, right? That's in the next piece to the puzzle. And in that, that, that very well may be uh, having a clinical uh, psychologist uh, maybe to consult with the team having a mental for performance coach that's here full time, right? Like, so you can kind of paint that picture however you want. Um, but it's not just strength and conditioning anymore. And I think that's, that's a huge difference is that you have each of these pieces. We've got our established KPIs from performance model. Medical also has their KPIs that, and certain things that need to be hit. And that's, you know, that falls under the umbrella, a little bit of return to play too, obviously. Right. Um, but to answer your question, Succinctly, yes, it, it's everybody's kind of pulling on that same rope together and ultimately in in the same direction. It sounds very similar to how we have things set up here, which for me is the first time really having it. I know at um, when I got hired director at the D3 school, like one of the pitches I had was trying to create a more unified front. I'm not going to call it a high performance model just because we didn't have the staffing, the funding to really fill that, but just having mm-hmm. more of common communications, like having common language, like the ATCs knew that like, if we were calling them Nordics, they were Nordics. It wasn't going to be one coach did Nordics, one coach did Russian leans, but being here at Pitt and just sitting in our high performance meetings with our teams and all that, it's so, I'm not going to say easy to do my job, but it's so nice to have so many other people like, all right, well, this is the KPIs we're hitting in the weight room. Jump heights are going up. Well, nutritionists, yeah, bod pods are looking great. Like our sports science department, like, well, our wellness questionnaires are through the roof or 
hey, wellness questions are down. Well, so-and-so didn't have a great lift day. It's just so much easier to ask questions because so many other people have those data points that when we come together, we can figure it out, find solutions, or just have ways to ask better questions on how can we keep these athletes healthy and keep having them perform. So that's awesome to hear you guys are heading in that right direction. I, I wasn't sure with the NHL, but it, it, I guess it is what it is when some people are still kind of trying to build their programs up, but it sounds like you guys really have a solid spot down there. Sure. And, and we're really happy with where we're at and, and kind of, like I said, that, that process that's been established now, how do we refine that process? How do we continue to, to improve and always be improving? Um, because going back to one of the first thing we, first things we said is it, you're not going to turn a rebuild around until that culture is fully established and in place. Then we've got, a wonderful general manager and, and head coach that help us establish these things. You can't do it without that. Um, and so again, it's just two more pieces of, to the puzzle where we're, we are hopefully getting everybody on board, player, staff, um, management, where we're all pulling on that same thing. And, and obviously at the professional level, at the end of the day, it's a business and everybody's goal should be to win. Right. Absolutely. So for us, it's, it's the standing cup, right? That's, that's, what's, that's the end goal. How, how do we get there piece by piece? Well, it, it starts small. With having everyone on board, right? Your coach, your GM, the high performance model. Is there any projects or anything you guys are really starting to dive into, whether that's maybe <laughs> just on like the SNC recondition side, you and dev, or is there anything even maybe you could speak on bigger in the department that you guys are really trying to, push for or starting to play around with that might be the next thing for you guys down there. And again, if you can't talk about it, I totally understand. Sure. Sure. Um, no, okay. I'll keep it kind of simple, kind of two part question. So just on the, on the surface, something I think that we we've talked about being a little bit more diligent with a um, little trial and error as well too. Part of it's because of the start of our season. I'll touch on that, but um, we really, really want to take travel into account this year. Um, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting piece to how everything plays out, but um, you know, what what estimation for workload points would you put on a, a travel uh, a flight from Arizona out to Pittsburgh, and then being out in Pittsburgh or at least the East Coast for five days, playing three games, then going to Colorado, playing one game, and then finally coming back, sleep one night, and you're back at it at home. Okay, well, what what units of measure can we place on this? Obviously, we know that it takes a toll on you. Anybody who's ever traveled and played any sort of competitive athletics knows that it's difficult. But how do we kind of make an arbitrary unit? And, and so that's something that I know we've talked about this year quite a bit. Um, and then if I had to kind of pick something to just keep myself busy and dive into my own sort of nerdy game would be um this year I'd, I'd like to lay out my first bait internal um data management and, and overlay that with our external load and just see it is there is there anything that i can take that maybe i haven't seen the last couple of years so that'd be my my two two responses to that no, tra travel is interesting. We were a couple, maybe it was a couple of days ago, maybe it was Monday, uh, with the new um, adding of 
Cal Berkeley, Stanford, and SMU to the ACC? Like, what's that mm-hmm. going to look like traveling for our my, my softball team? Like, are we going to be playing extra games in Texas? Are we flying out to California for a weekend series and then coming back? I think the whole landscape of college athletics with these different conferences and teams moving around, it's starting to look more like what a professional team would say in travel where like, Hey, yeah, you're going across the country and you might be leaving Thursday. You might be playing a game out in Cal two games out in Cali because it's easy to hit a Northern school, a Southern California school, and then coming back. But again, like you said, what does that look like? What is just the travel, not sleeping in your beds, being in the hotel, put on the athletes, let alone the actual load of games. I think it's something for us that we're going to really be diving into looking at of just like how's the best way we can manage recovery and manage optimal performance as this landscape. Again, it's changing now. I'm sure in the next five years, it'll change again and conferences will be all over the place. Who knows? But it's interesting that you guys have been dealing with it forever and now we're just starting to get into it. So again, another question I might be calling or texting you about the next year or so of like, hey, have you found anything that really helps with those long travel days? Sure. And, and please do. Right. And that's something that, like I said, we, we want to get better at. Um, it's kind of, it, again, it's nothing new in, in professional sports. It's not like we just started traveling this year. However, we, as say we, with the Arizona Coyotes as an organization, we were selected for the global series program in the NHL. So we're going to begin this preseason, which is already a week and a half away. Mm-hmm. We're going to be- begin this preseason in Australia. So what is that abnormal travel going to do to the athletes? Obviously, you know it's going to take a toll, but how do we prepare? What kind of sleep schedules can we have on the flight itself and post-flight on both sides where we kind of minimize that lag and the changes to circadian rhythm and things like that? What, what, what techniques can we use upon arrival back home to, to get guys back into mountain standard time as quick as possible? Things like that because, again, then you get a week of preseason and you're going right. So um, that was kind of, I would say what sparked us to, to dive deeper into something that already plays a huge role with the athletes um, between that. And then actually Adam Virgil had a fantastic um, presentation to, to all of us at the, at the SCAF presentations this summer. So uh, strength conditioning association, professional hockey, Right. He, he spoke to us and he's with, um, I believe the Clippers now, right. He used to be with the New York Rangers and, and he had a really clean document that he pulled up on the screen. So this is, this is how we account for sleep. Is it perfect? No, but this is, this is what we found works out really well, um, for travel, for sleep, for early mornings, late nights, et cetera. And I think that's something that we want to just make sure we've got covered as, as well as we can here this year with our guys. No, absolutely. It's definitely something we're doing here. And I know me and my sports med department are just trying to find better ways for like our softball team. Like they'll leave early Thursday, get Friday, maybe a practice. And then it's back to back to back travel home Sunday. And then one day in bed, and then we're back at it again, midweek and then travel. So definitely I will be reaching out to you to see if there's any good hidden gems or things you might've found to really help us with this. Right. It's been an absolute pleasure to it. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, man. If anyone wants to reach out to you, maybe they find something, maybe like return to play questions or just want to dive in more of what you're doing there with the Coyotes. Is there a best place to reach you, whether it's email, social media, you would be willing to give out? 
Sure. You, you can reach out on social media. I said, I've got an Instagram. I, I don't have a, a whole ton of posts um, work related, but if you do have a question, it's probably the easiest way to, to get a hold of me. And that's at Ryan Wysocki underscore five, seven. Awesome. I'll make sure that that gets in the show notes too. Rye, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I will do much better job of staying in contact and not having to be close to a decade before we talk again next time, man. Good luck to you in the upcoming season, man. I'll be definitely curious watching some Phoenix games. And if you guys uh, ever get out to Pittsburgh, definitely don't hesitate to reach out. I'll make sure to take you to a nice dinner. You got it. Looking forward to it. Appreciate your time, Devin. Thank you, guys. And for everyone listening, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And as always, hail to Pitts. (laughs) 